Welcome to Brains, a podcast exploring the inner workings of our brains, mental health, and disabilities, and how film and television portray them. Hosted by me, writer-director Heather Taylor, and by me, film and television editor Sarah Taylor. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge that the lands from which we recorded this podcast and from where you are listening are part of territories that have long served as a gathering place for diverse Indigenous peoples. And we are thankful, as guests on this land, to be able to live, work, and gather here together. We continue to learn about the history that came before us and encourage you to do the same. This is episode three of our three-part series, You're Not Alone, Navigating Life with Mental Illness, which we created for Mental Illness Awareness Week 2023. It explores mental illness and the barriers that can block your journey to good mental health. Today's episode is about when and how to disclose. Our guest, Stephanie Fernazier, is a psychologist and host of the Psychocinematic Podcast who currently works in disability inclusion in schools in NARM. She also brings her own lived experience of mental illness to the conversation. Steph joins us to discuss how you approach disclosure, concerns around discrimination about disclosure and how to address it, and why some people incorporate their mental illness or disability into their identity after disclosure. We also talk about how the disclosure process is portrayed on film and television. A quick reminder to our listeners that this interview should not be taken as medical advice. And it is for informational purposes only. Because everyone's brain is different, please consult your healthcare professional if you have any questions. And now, Steph. Hello, Steph. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm absolutely stoked to be on Brains. Yay! This is amazing. Is that how I say it, by the way? Or is it Brains? You know, that's a great way. We like to extend it. Brains! Yeah. Zombie style. <laughs> so to start things off, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Um, so I'm a psychologist. I live in Melbourne, Australia, otherwise known as NAM, and I'm currently on the Wurundjeri land of the Kulin Nation. I have worked in disability and in private practice and worked in schools a lot of my career And I'm currently working in more of a policy implementation role in our government system at the moment, uh, implementing disability inclusion across schools. And I also have a podcast, uh, which is called Psychocinematic, and it's all about representation of mental illness and disability in film and TV from a psychology perspective. I was saying to someone today, like, we are the perfect halves of each other. Like, we are the film and TV people coming at it, and you're the psychologist coming at it, and together we're a perfect whole. So really, you have to listen to both of our podcasts all the time. We love listening to your podcast, and we just love... um, everything about you. You're obviously our best friend. (laughs) (laughs) Likewise. I think disclosure is such an important and nuanced discussion. And so we're, we're so pleased that you came on to talk to us about it. So how do you know when it's time to disclose your mental health diagnosis or your disability? Yeah, it's a, it's a big question, but I luckily thought a lot about it. Um, For myself, I guess for some background on myself, like I have generalized anxiety disorder and I think it's been a journey of when I've felt comfortable disclosing that to anybody else. And I think it really depends on the context, your own comfort level and where you are in your sort of mental illness, disability acceptance journey and also what kind of outcome you want from that disclosure or what you think would benefit from have from disclosing that. In an ideal world, everyone would know everyone's disability or mental illness and it wouldn't be a thing. But unfortunately, we don't live in that ideal world. I think for me, if I was giving advice to anyone else, I think a good rule would be 
if there is a need that isn't being met for you where you are in the environment, whether that's in your workplace, in your school setting, um, or even maintaining a friendship with someone or in a relationship, it's, it's a bit of a cop-out because ideally needs should be met anyway. But I think it would be a good opportunity just to disclose, for example, if you're in a workplace and say it's open plan and there's a lot of noise um, so and you have some sensory processing um, needs, so you might prefer to wear headphones or even sit somewhere that's a little bit less noisy, but that's difficult or people are having expectations that having headphones means you're you're being rude or not being social. So it might be a time to disclose, hey, I actually have a sensory processing disorder or I have autism or I have, you know, it doesn't ma- doesn't really matter what it is that this is a need that needs to be met. But as I said, it's in an ideal inclusive world, accommodations would be made everywhere for people with mental illness, disability, neurodivergence, and that shouldn't need to be addressed. And workplaces, school settings, any government setting has an obligation to be inclusive and provide accommodations for people who need them. But in order to advocate for those, sometimes disclosure is necessary because not everyone is good at providing those accommodations. You know, you've given examples of workplace, school, friends and family for places where you would disclose, but how do you approach that disclosure with all those different groups of people? Yeah, I think um, it really depends on how comfortable you feel with how much you want to disclose. And it's obviously a very awkward space for a lot of people if you haven't disclosed to too many people. I think it's a really personal choice as well, and it's up to you how much you feel comfortable about disclosing and even whether to disclose at all. No one can force you and you don't owe anyone any particular information particularly if it's in a workplace, they don't need to know any more than is relevant to what your needs are, et cetera. I think for me, if say it's a friend, I like to just share maybe a little bit and see how they cope with that information. So, you know, I get really anxious around these times and see how they respond to that. And there's a really good chance that they'll relate to that, depending on what the mental illness or disability is. I think I'm pretty lucky because I have a lot of friends who are neurodivergent and have mental illness and disabilities. And it's just, you often find your people. You know, if you find that they don't react with um, a response that makes you feel safe and secure, then it's up to you how much more you want to disclose from there. There's a lot of, obviously, a lot of stigma still around, a lot of perceptions and media biases around mental illness and disability, which I think has a lot to blame for that. But as well as, you know, uh, where someone's come from in their lives, what stigmas they've been around, their experiences, their cultural experiences, their family upbringing, etc. So I don't think anyone intends to make you feel unsafe about your your disclosure, but it's their own sort of journey of understanding mental illness and disability. I was reading a little bit of research about this and according to, I think it was an article by The Conversation that was saying that, I love The Conversation, <laughs> um, there's actually been a lot of positive outcomes generally around disclosure of mental illness in a workplace. Um, and some of those outcomes have been um, that person gaining more support. There being actually a reduction of symptoms, particularly anxiety and stress, and also an increase of more self-acceptance and, and a reduction of self-stigma. So there's a lot of benefits that can be gained from um, sharing 
your own story. And I think um, for things like in the education world, in, in schools, here in Australia, uh, we have traditionally operated on a basis of if someone, if a student needs support or um, accommodations to be made in their school setting, traditionally they needed diagnostic information, so much diagnostic information, as well as charting like how significant their disability or mental illness is um, and how it impacts them and very viewing it in a very negative basis. Um, but that has, there's a new sort of model, which is, happens to be what I'm implementing at the moment, that um, where it's more strengths-based and rather than focusing on the disability itself, it's more what are the accommodations that are required and what is the school actually doing to accommodate those needs. So there's no need for a diagnosis. There's no need for all of that paperwork to show how disabled you are, but it's more what are the needs and are the schools actually meeting those needs. So I think that's been a really refreshing change where there doesn't need to be as much disclosure around those things. It's just, this is a need I have. You need to meet that need. I love this idea about thinking of it things as like the needs that you have versus anything else. And so how much do you have to tell then? And how do you really speak to your needs? Because sometimes you'll be like, but why? <laughs> how do you do that? Like how much do you have to tell? How much can you try to explain it through a needs lens? It depends on the setting, of course. But if there needs to be some sort of rationale on why that accommodation is made, I think it's Again, up to your comfort level and I think a good thing to access if you have that capacity is someone to advocate for you as well because that can be very confronting and that might not make you feel very safe or comfortable to share. So having someone, whether it's a friend or family member, to help you with that discussion. You know, some people might get a psychologist to write a letter on their behalf as well to say, my client has this need, she needs like she needs regular breaks or she can't work past a certain time if she's doing if she's at university and doing a particular placement or something like that. But I think it's what's relevant and what you're comfortable sharing. Like there shouldn't be a need to go through too much of the nitty-gritty of, you know, when I have anxiety, I have a panic attack and this is how it feels for me. Like obviously that's not really relevant information. All the information that needs to be shared is that this causes me anxiety. It's something that I struggle with and as a result, I need a room that I can go to that helps me to decompress. Once you have disclosed, what's the biggest concern around discrimination after you disclose and what do you do if that happens to you? For me personally, as a practitioner, as a psychologist, I'm always a little bit hesitant to disclose my own mental illness around professionals. There's actually some studies done around um, psychologists and their own mental health issues, and there's quite a high proportion of psychologists that have mental health <laughs> issues, which is not a surprise at all. No. <laughs> but a lot fear disclosing their mental illness <laughs> in case it's used against them, in case, you know, there's a, there's a complaint made, which can happen even to the best psychologists um, through our regulation board. There could be concern that if they have disclosed that mental illness, then that could be used against them in that case, which would be discrimination. But it's obviously a very tricky space for a lot of uh, professionals to navigate, just given the nature of the work. But however, as I said, there's a lot of awareness and 
embracing of psychologists who also identify as having mental illness or neurodivergent and also promoting themselves as neuroaffirming, which is a really good shift because as much as when you're you know, highly trained in dealing with a number of mental health and disability issues, there's nothing really beats lived experience. Getting that really high sense of what a person is going through and being able to empathize and know what strategies could be useful from someone who's actually been through it themselves can be invaluable. So I think there's a lot of positivity in disclosing in that sense. Um, Of course, as long as boundaries are still being met, (laughs) professional boundaries. But in other ways, I think there's that concern, say, if you're a parent or, you know, you've already gone through some government systems where your character is being judged and your fitness to parent or your fitness to engage in whatever it might be, there could definitely be um, concerns that there could be that again could be used against you for example in a custody battle you know disclosure of mental illness or disability could be used to paint a picture that that interferes with your parenting for example and there's still a lot of stigma around mental illness and disability uh, as much as things have improved but I do want to let everyone know that discrimination on the basis of mental illness or disability is illegal. From the Australian perspective, we have the Disability Discrimination Act and in America you have American with Disabilities Act, which both prohibit discrimination on the basis of disability in employment, state and local government, public accommodations, commercial facilities, transportation and telecommunications. Um, which also includes mental health diagnoses. So having said that, while it is illegal, it's still happening. There's definite understanding of why people would be um, hesitant to disclose and worried about what could come from that. And again, I think media has to blame for some of that as well in some of those really unnuanced, very negative depictions of particular mental illnesses, disabilities, all those tropes used where, you know, someone with mental illness is seen as unhinged or a villain or um, weak and all of those things. So, which is very real and has a very real impact. Before we go into talking more about film and television, I'm really curious about how disclosure plays into identity. Mm. I talk about this quite a lot with people who may not be as open about their mental illness or disability, like I am, for instance. Um, And so they asked me specifically to ask you, you know, some people make their mental illness a bigger or louder part of who they are. Well, some people just live with it. How do you reconcile that and make those choices for yourself? Yeah, um, I, yeah, I, I know lots of people, as I said, with different mental illnesses, disabilities, and some who do not want to talk about it and would rather no one ever know about it and really sees it as very separate from themselves and others that it is very much a part of themselves. They embrace it. They, you know, use it as part of their identity and without it, they wouldn't feel like themselves. Um, I don't think there's a right or wrong way and it's a very personal choice. Everyone's on a journey too of acceptance. For example, my husband has, he was only diagnosed with diabetes, um, type one diabetes a few years ago and which is a chronic illness but he will not call himself someone with a chronic illness or chronically ill or disabled um he just what but you know in time he might decide that he's more willing to embrace that label and it's very contextual and dependent on 
what you're doing. Like he's he's just started his career as a doctor, so I think he doesn't want that to interfere with anything else that's going on for him in his mind. That's what that would be doing. It's really up to the person, and I think there's real benefit in feeling empowered and wanting to be very open and shout it from the rooftops that I'm disabled. I think that with that can come from lots of positivity and acceptance that can really help to manage um, the symptoms or the, the barriers that come from that. And I think it makes it easier to ask for your needs to be met because obviously there's less self-stigma there and also by sort of being more um, open about it, people can maybe already anticipate what accommodations you might need. But that's not a reason to be that way because it would be great if people just made accommodations anyway, like we said, that universal design. Yes, it would. <laughs> you mentioning your husband's journey, that was similar with my anxiety. I like didn't even want to go down the the diagnosis journey at first because I didn't want to have that be the thing. And then once I finally had a diagnosis and I was like, there was something about there's a click for me where I'm like, no, I'm, I want to share. I want to disclose. I want other people to know that I live this way. And then the more I disclose, the more other people would disclose to me about what they're dealing with. And I felt like I did find more people that were living and experiencing life similar to the way I was. And so I, that was something that I thought was unique or interesting. I didn't expect that the more I disclosed, the more I had other people share with me what yeah. they were going through. Mm. Yeah, and the more you become a safe space for them too, for other people that you're saying, hi, this is me. You're safe to come talk to me. That's what yeah. I feel like too. Totally, yeah. It's much easier to find the people around you that um, relate to you by being more open about disclosure um, and finding your community, particularly during COVID, I think, um, which is still happening, but during the lockdown, I think I did actually find some research that that had a really positive impact impact having that more identity and identification with communities led to more mental and physical health because you're you've got that support system around you and um during lockdown that was a really good time to seek that out online because there was nothing else much to do <laughs> and um COVID was very impactful for a lot of people with disabilities so yeah I think there's been a real benefit in doing that but having said that if you don't feel comfortable making that disability or mental illness part of your identity, that is okay. And it's really, again, your own personal choice and journey. And there's nothing wrong with not wanting to promote that about yourself. Yeah, each to their own, really. I like it. We love to talk about film and TV. In your opinion, what's the best representation of a disclosure experience on film and TV? And if you don't have one, or if you even do, how would you like to see it represented? Yeah, I really racked my brain around this because there's not a lot of there's not a lot of disclosure in film and TV. Like often, it's about the journey of that person exploring their mental illness, neurodivergence, disability, and it's usually really bad if it if it does come out. A couple of disclosures of autism that I have particularly thought about was um, in the TV show Special which I think we both have covered actually. The man that Ryan dates who has autism disclosed, I can't remember his name, I'm so sorry, but he discloses that he has autism and it's very like, oh, by the way, this is me, I have autism, that's why I do this thing that I do. And Ryan just accepts it and you know, sort of learns a little bit more about it and it's not a big part of the storyline. 
there's no plot line that involves that disclosure or the fact that he has autism. It's just like this is something about me as a character and as a person. And it was played by someone with autism, which is even better. So I really liked that one. And when you think of special, you don't think, oh, that's the character with autism and you think of of the main character and his journey. On alternatively with that autism disclosure, I don't know if um, you've re- you have access to the um, Australian TV show Heartbreak High, which is on Netflix. Yeah. It's a really good show. The character Quinny, played by Chloe Hayden, who I love, when she discloses her autism um, diagnosis, It's a bit more of a realistic depiction because she doesn't disclose it straight away. She starts dating Sasha and they obviously really like each other, but Quinny gets overwhelmed at times and Sasha sort of interprets that as feeling rejected or um, Quinny not being into the relationship or not liking her. And then I think Quinny's sort of more sort of pushed into disclosing, I have autism, that's that's what's going on for me. Sometimes I need some space. And Sasha, who's not neurodivergent, well, she doesn't have autism her reaction is a bit more of a reflecting on some of the misunderstandings she has of autism such as well you don't look autistic which is 100% more realistic (laughs) because that is often a reaction that people will say and she she comes to accept it but I think there's also a lot of growth Sasha needs to do in understanding what is actually being an accepting inclusive partner because um, if you've seen the show um, Sasha really does push Quinny into situations she's not comfortable in and doesn't respond to the needs she has very well and as a result spoiler alert they break up which maybe the disclosure wasn't as positive but it's a very, I thought, a very realistic depiction of some of the misunderstandings, the stigma and the growth people need to have to understand autism itself, which I think was a really powerful depiction. But I have one more in terms of mental illness as well. I couldn't find a really good depiction of a mental illness disclosure, like, you know, depression, anxiety or um, any sort of mood disorder. And the closest I came, and it's a movie I really dislike, is Silver Linings Playbook. When Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence have that conversation at the dinner table about, you know, that he's come out of a mental institution, he's got bipolar, and these are the meds he's been on, and she discloses her own mental health history and the meds that she's been on and the impacts they have. I think that scene was the best scene in that film for me because it's such a more validating sort of representative scene of they're just chatting freely about the antipsychotics they've been on and uh, there's no judgment between them. It's just sort of talking about matter-of-factly what the sort of effects of those meds were. So, yeah, that was like the best I could find. Yeah. Yeah, at least it wasn't super stigmatizing. It's really interesting because I feel like we see characters who are going through things like depression and anxiety, but we don't necessarily see the disclosure of it. Yeah. But I know that, again, I'm going to give another example that's in the like autism space, but that was un- was surprising to me was Not Dead Yet. Oh, I haven't seen that. Rick Glassman plays a environmental lawyer and he's doing like, he's kind of very particular and he has a new roommate now and she's like, what are you, do you have Asperger's or something? Mm. And he says, yes. <laughs> and then she's so embarrassed And then at the end of the episode, he says, I want you to know that it's not called Asperger's anymore. I'm autistic and I like things this way because it makes things less stressful for me. And he explains like why he has rules. And then there are episodes where there's one where just he masks a lot around his girlfriend 
And they basically are like, we love you as you are. You should show who you really are Mm. because she's someone that you're supposed to love too. And she should love you like as you are. And it was really beautiful because they weren't like referencing autism, but just him as a person that he was hiding like the parts of him that that shone, which was just really beautiful. Oh, that sounds really lovely. I need to watch that now. Yeah, it's really good. (laughs) And it's nice when a depiction is like realistic and like how people can sort of throw away, are you Asperger's or something? And then the actual outcome of that and then having a positive understanding of that moment. That's pretty good. Your next question was what a good depiction should have in it. Yeah, what do you want to see? I think I would love to see a disclosure that is the protagonist's or the character's choice and it's not coerced. So it's where it's in their comfort zone and they feel comfortable disclosing. Also it not being a major dramatic plot line and um, more of something that's just, it's just there rather than being a, you know, this is an episode about someone disclosing that they have depression or whatever it might be. And having it in line with an accurate portrayal of that disability or mental illness illness and with correct mm-hmm. facts represented just like in the one that you mentioned where you know he says it's actually not called Asperger's anymore obviously the response being acceptance and that development of understanding mistakes can be made in that um, situation but with some learning and correction and and acceptance down the track and also for it not to be sensationalized and like kind of used as a red flag or you know, as a future drama or plot device really annoys me when mental illness or disabilities is used or whatever happens within that as a plot device to make something else happen. It's, it's kind of lazy. I'd like to see it um, in the workplace. I'd like to see what actual Mm. um, accommodations look like. Mm, yeah. Because I feel like I never see that. Like when someone's like, what accommodations can you ask for? I'm like, I don't know, because I've never seen or understood what I could ask for. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, we don't see a lot of that in media, whether it's, you know, fiction or nonfiction. And even in school places too, I've been thinking about school, like depictions of kids with disabilities at school. And mo- most of the media that we see about that is like, oh, these kids are really bad behaved and teachers are pulling their hair out and it's all a horrible mess and everything's badly run and badly resourced, which is, you know, to a point true, but it's very demonizing of the kids' behavior rather than what can be put in place to make that student feel safe, comfortable, engage in school and, um, yeah, feel accepted. Uh, We don't see a lot of that in the media at all. Now, do you have any resources that you could recommend our listeners to engage with if they do want to, you know, maybe think about disclosing or just learn more about disclosure? I think a really um, good thing to look at is um, the human rights or discrimination resources in your country, which I can provide some links for. While that sounds really harsh, but it's it's really good to know what your rights are and what are the expectations of, say, your workplace, your school, whatever setting you're in to provide those accommodations for you. Also, I would really recommend talking to the community you're a part of in terms of that disability, mental illness, neurodivergence, um, because there's often a lot of advocates and um, people in those spaces who will help, whether that's their job officially or just um, something they, they feel comfortable doing, someone to advocate for you on your behalf. 
or just come along and provide that moral support if you need to have one of those tricky conversations. Also talk to your own therapist, psychologist, mental health person to sort of talk through it with them and get their perspective if you're lucky enough to have access to that and gain some support in how how to disclose, what are some things you can do to to feel confident disclosing and if it's not the most positive experience, how you can sort of manage that as well. Here in Australia, we have a lot of mental health resources that can really assist in that space. Black Dog Institute, Reach Out, um, which is more for um, teens, uh, Headspace as well, um, have a lot of online resources. There's also Sane Australia, which I really love because it's more focused on some of those less depression, anxiety, um, more severe mental illnesses, um, which don't get as much media <laughs> coverage. And there's also um, disability groups such as Persons with Disability Australia, Aspect, which is the autism body. Yellow Ladybugs is brilliant for um, young female or um, non-binary um, people with autism and other neurodivergences. And I did come across one that's more national, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness which has actually some specific resources on disclosing to others, which I can link to as well. Um, but there's also Very Well Mind and there's also HBR.org that have some resources around how to disclose your mental condition, your mental health condition, and what happens when an employee discloses a mental health condition. So as an employer, how you can support them through that as well. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll send them all to you so you can have them in the notes. Fantastic. I'll ask one last question. Um, where can people find out more about you, your podcast, following online, become your best friend? Like, how do we do this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to have more best friends in my life. <laughs> so my podcast is Psychocinematic Podcast. Um, it's on all the podcast platforms. Uh, if it's not on one, tell me and I'll put <laughs> make sure it's on there. We have a website, www.psychocinematicpodcast.com, which has all my links, but um, I'm also on Instagram at Psychocinematic Podcast. Uh, I've got TikTok, which is at Psychocinematic, and Twitter at Psychocinematic Podcast, although I'm not on Twitter as much as I was before. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Um, it was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. And we appreciate you um, talking to us from across the world. Yay! Yes. <laughs> and I'm really excited to have you on the Psycho Cinematic Podcast as well. Yes! Thank you so much for listening to the third of our three-part special on navigating life with mental illness. We hope this has given you more insight into the journey to good mental health. Brains is hosted and produced by Heather and Sarah Taylor, mixed and mastered by Tony Bao. Our theme song is by our little brother, Depish, and our graphics were created by Perpetual Notion. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us and tell your friends to tune in. You can reach us on all social platforms at Brains Podcast, spelled B-R-A-A-I-N-S Podcast. You can also go to our website, brainspodcast.com, where you can contact us, subscribe, and find out a little more about who we are and what we do. Until next time, I'm your host, Sarah. And I'm your host, Heather. Bye! Bye.